Lord, we've just sung that you would reveal yourself as your word is proclaimed. And we pray that what we have sung would be true now as we look afresh at your word, as we study your deeds, your character, your nature. May we see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly this day and forevermore. Amen. Do please uh, take a seat. Uh, And if you have a uh, church Bible, if you might like to open it to uh, page 1179, uh, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking particularly at uh, that that sort of, uh, well, I suppose it's a a hymn, a poem, uh, in the middle of uh, that reading we had earlier from uh, verse 5 through to verse 11. Uh, I wonder if you've... uh, ever watched the uh, BBC programme The Apprentice? Probably some of you will, and it's uh, familiar. It's uh, heading towards its uh, conclusion, I think, if it hasn't reached it already. Uh, For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, basically the premise is that 16 aspiring business people uh, compete over several weeks. They get a variety of challenges uh, in order to try and win a a job uh, with the business magnate Sir Alan Sugar. Uh, A central feature of the programme... Uh, it's not the main feature, but one of the central features uh, is that they make these outrageous brags and boasts about their ability. Anyone who's watched it will know what I mean. They, they just say these, these things which are just completely ridiculous. Uh, a sample quote, uh, everything I touch turns to sold from one candidate. B- bit cringing, isn't it? But that's what they said. Uh, even worse, I can sell ice to Eskimos. And of course, you know what happens. Uh, they make these outrageous claims and... They're proved uh, to be completely rubbish as they fail the task and then they get uh, suddenly ejected uh, and turfed out. Uh, We can laugh at those quotes. They are a bit silly and they're a bit ridiculous. But actually, in the middle of them, I guess we can recognise something of each of us, something of ourselves. Uh, Humility doesn't come easy to any of us. Uh, There's an old story told of a a schoolboy who was told off by his teacher for being a bit arrogant, a bit full of himself, and he was told to try at being humble for a change. Well, he did it, did it for a few days, uh, but then after a few days, he went back to his old ways. Uh, I tried being humble, he said, uh, but no one noticed me. (laughs) It's ridiculous, isn't it? But it's true. Uh, Deep in our hearts, we want to be noticed. We want uh, somebody to acclaim us. Uh, we don't find humility easy. Uh, we're not alone in that. The church in Philippi were having a similar problem. We've been looking at Philippians uh, throughout this term. A wonderful letter. And there's much that's going on in Philippi that's really, really good. Uh, St. Paul uh, praises the Philippians for their partnership in the gospel ministry. Uh, they've been partners in his work right from the very start. So they've shown it in their generous giving, uh, which is one of the reasons why Paul is writing to them. Uh, But there is also uh, something not quite right here. We don't really know fully what it is. We get a hint a little bit later on in the letter that there's some kind of disagreement uh, focused on two women, Euodia and Syntyche. There is some kind of division, some kind of disunity, some sort of somebody trying to get one up on the other that is threatening to rip apart all this good work uh, in the Philippian church. And Paul is challenging them uh, to, uh, to, 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 to their unity in Christ. He's uh, at the start of this, uh, this chapter too. Uh, he's been telling them a wonderful statement. They're united with Christ. They have all these privileges that flow from that relationship with him. Uh, he appeals to that uh, in order 
uh, to, uh, for them to be humble and to adopt the attitude uh, that they should have. And then finally, he gets to this point. He urges them to consider the example of the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, and not only to consider it, but to imitate his attitude, his mindset, that is one of humility. And in doing so, he provides us with one of the richest uh, passages about the Lord Jesus that I think has ever been written. Uh, There's lots that we could look at in these verses. uh, And I just want to simply uh, draw our attention to three things in particular uh, that St. Paul says. Uh, Firstly, who St. Paul says Jesus is? So who is this man, Jesus? Uh, Secondly, uh, what does St. Paul say he became? And thirdly, where does St. Paul say he is now? Who he is, what he became, and where he is now. Let's look first, shall we, at who Jesus is. And St. Paul's answer is that he is, in essence, God. He is, in essence, God, verse uh, 6, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Uh, The writer H.G. Wells, writer of uh, War of the Worlds and other things, uh, once said this, uh, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is at the very centre of history. I think very few people would deny Jesus' influence on the direction of the world. And yet if we were to ask those same people who Jesus really is, I think they would be hard-pressed to tell us. Uh, A poet long ago uh, called him the pale Galilean. He gave this impression that Jesus was sucking uh, the joy and the life and the colour out of the world. And that's what some people think. He's basically a killjoy, uh, and uh, we're better off without him. Uh, Billy Connolly, the uh, comedian, uh, has described him as simply a wonderful man. And I guess there are many who would probably agree with him. A wonderful person, a wonderful man. Uh, Time magazine in the US uh, has called Jesus the most persistent symbol of purity, selflessness, and love in the history of Western man. It's quite a claim, isn't it? And yet St. Paul's answer is even bigger than any of those. It is breathtaking in its scope. He says that Jesus is, in essence, God. Uh, Literally, uh, the, uh, the Greek says he is in the form of God. Uh, the word that uh, St. Paul uses is, is the, the word that denotes the very essence of an individual. It's the thing that never, ever changes. No matter what else happens outside, uh, that thing, that essence of a person stays uh, the same. And he says uh, that in the eyes of the world, Jesus might well appear to be a wise man. He might appear to be a killjoy. He might well be an example of moral purity, as we saw in the video. But his essence is that he is divine. He is divine. He is the Son of God. He is part of the Godhead. He's God himself. Uh, The writer of the Hebrews put it like this. He said, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Uh, St. John famously wrote those words, which we hear again and again, don't we, at Christmas time, right at the start of his account of uh, Jesus' life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we look at Jesus, we are seeing divinity. We see God. Even more than that, St. Paul says that Jesus is equal 
with God, verse 6. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, the picture he's conjuring up is a picture of a, a thief or a robber who's trying to snatch at something that isn't really his. It's not rightfully his. He's decided it should be, and he's grabbing it and taking it for himself. And yet, St. Paul says that's precisely what Jesus isn't doing. Uh, He is equal with God. He possesses all the qualities and attributes of God himself. They are rightfully his. He doesn't need to snatch at them and grab them, for they uh, are his. Uh, When he claimed to be God, when he walked the earth, uh, he was stating the truth. He wasn't lying. He just said the truth. He said who he really was. Uh, A few weeks ago, I caught sight of a news story uh, in a Remembrance Sunday parade uh, somewhere else in the country. Uh, There was a man who was uh, found out for wearing medals that weren't rightfully his. He was claiming to uh, be a uh, sort of former member of the SAS, and he had a sort of string of impressive medals. Uh, on his, uh, his uh, blazer, uh, blazer lapel. Uh, it turned out he'd been in the air cadets or something like that and had never really served at all. Uh, he was trying to claim to be something that he isn't. Uh, and yet the claims of Jesus are fully justified. He's not claiming to be something uh, that he's not. He doesn't have to grasp after deity. It's his by right. He is divine. Uh, He is the Son of God, equal with God, possessing all the qualities and attributes of God himself. Well, someone rightly uh, said a long time ago that Christianity is Christ. The clue is in the name, isn't it, really? Uh, What we make of Jesus and his claims will affect our entire attitude to the faith uh, that bears his name. And the consistent teaching of St. Paul of the Gospel writers, of the whole Bible, of the whole New Testament, uh, is that Jesus wasn't merely a man. He wasn't simply a wise man who walked the earth 2,000 odd years ago. But he was the Son of God. He was essentially divine. He was equal with God. And the question for us this Christmas is, can we say that too? Can we affirm what St. Paul says here? Is Jesus for us truly divine? Is he the Son of God? Or is he merely a miracle worker or a man? Who is Jesus? St. Paul says he is essentially divine. Well, let's look secondly at uh, what Jesus became. And St. Paul tells us that Jesus uh, became emptied unto death. Emptied unto death. Uh, Several years ago, uh, the BBC produced a television series which was exploring the significance of uh, six major world faiths. Uh, they rather cleverly came up with the title, Man in Search of God. They're probably very proud of that, I imagine. And yet for the Christian, that is a ridiculous title. Because the whole narrative of the Bible is that it's the opposite way around. God has come in search of man. He doesn't sit idly by, uh, a bit like some sort of First World War general, remote, directing operations from his chateau. He has come into our world. He's entered our world as one of us. For 30 odd years, he lived among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. It's astounding, isn't it? How on earth can this work? How can God become one of us? Well, it's not immediately obvious uh, from our NIV translations here, but St. Paul tells us um, that Jesus emptied himself. We've translated it here, uh, made himself nothing, verse uh, 7. 
Uh, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Excuse me. Being made in human uh, likeness. Uh, it is the idea of something being poured out. So, uh, say, a glass uh, pouring out uh, the water that's uh, inside it. Um, we've, theologians have speculated uh, for centuries about exactly what is going on here. And we just we can't say. We don't know. Uh, we certainly shouldn't be tempted to think that in some way he was less divine, that when he, became, uh, uh, he walked the earth, he sort of lost some of his divinity. No, that wasn't true. Uh, he was uh, still as divine as he ever had been. Um, you know, it stands to reason with a glass. If I emptied that glass out onto uh, the floor, it's still a glass, regardless of whether it has water in or not. It hasn't lost anything of its uh, quality that make it a glass. But rather, I think what we should understand is that in some way Jesus surrendered uh, the glory of heaven and the privileges that were his right uh, in order that he might come and serve us. At no point did he cease uh, to be God. Or indeed, at no point was he uh, not fully uh, human. He was both uh, two natures in one person. Um, Oh, what a mystery, as we've already sung. Uh, He is the word made flesh. Uh, In him, deity and manhood hold together. Why did he submit to such humiliation? Why did he leave the privileges of heaven uh, for the earth? Well, I think the Bible gives us two reasons. Revelation and redemption. Revelation and redemption. That opening chapter of St. John's Gospel that I referred to uh, just a moment ago repeatedly describes Jesus as the Word. Uh, We could understand that in a number of different ways, but I think the best way is simply to say that he is the ultimate expression of God himself. Uh, Again, the writer of the Hebrews tells us this. He says that in the past, God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. If Jesus is God in human form, it means we don't need to guess at what God is like. We don't need to set up some kind of image in our mind. We can know because he has made himself known in all his love and power, uh, in his fullness of his grace. Jesus reveals God to us. He came for revelation, to reveal God. Secondly, and this is the one that really is at the heart of our passage this morning, which you may have noticed... Uh, Jesus came for redemption. He came for redemption. Verse 8, yes. Uh, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Not only did he humble himself by becoming a human being, he humbled himself to the point of death. And what a death, a horrible death, the death of the cross. Rightly at Christmas, we remember the wonder of God entering his world as one of us. And we can uh, can spend hours, and rightly so, dwelling on that mystery. And yet we must never forget that the reason for the cradle was the cross. From the very start, the angel's words to Joseph were that Mary would bear a son who would be given the name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Uh, In humble obedience to the Father's will, out of love for for you and for me, 
Jesus endured the cross. He bore our sin in his body that we might be forgiven, set free and adopted into his family. Uh, One early church father put it like this. He who was the son of God became the son of man that men might become the sons of God. He who was the son of God became the son of man that men might become the sons of God. This autumn, uh, we and lots of churches across uh, Norfolk have been asking our uh, neighbours the, the two questions. What hurts the most and who cares? What hurts the most and who cares? Who cares about poverty? Who cares about broken families, damaged relationships? Who cares about grief? The answer of the Bible is that Jesus cares. He cares so much that he left the comforts of heaven to inhabit the squalor of the earth. More than that, he cares so much that he went to the cross to pay for human sin, the reason why our world is not how it should be, to start to put right and recreate uh, the world uh, in uh, God's new image. And this Christmas, he invites each one of us to come back to him, to find that forgiveness that he alone can offer, to find a fresh start with him. Who cares? Jesus cares. Finally, let's move on and look at uh, where Christ is now. And St. Paul's answer is that he is exalted with the Father. Uh, Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, I guess like many of you, um, I watched uh, the news of the Sydney hostage uh, this week in the news uh, papers. I wonder if you caught the two stories of heroism that came out of it uh, in the middle of it. Dreadful um, uh, event, but two stories of, uh, of hope uh, to, uh, to be encouraged by. Karina uh, Dawson and uh, Tori Johnson were two uh, victims in the, uh, the hostage siege. They both died at the hands of uh, that terrorist as they sought to protect the lives of others uh, in that siege. And rightly, their sacrifices are being acclaimed across Australia and across the world. Sorry, excuse me. (coughs) For them, sacrifice has led to glory. They probably didn't intend it to be like that, but that's how how it has worked. And it might be thought that for Jesus... That bloody execution on a Roman gallows all those years ago was the end. That was it. He was just another failed revolutionary, failed prophet like the rest of them who'd come. And yet St. Paul tells us here that his death was only the beginning. Uh, For God has highly exalted him and seated him in the place of honour at his right hand. The honour that he truly deserves. Uh, For Jesus, the path of sacrifice is the path to his glory. Even more than that, God has given him the name above every name, verse 9. Uh, It seems strange to us, but names in Bible times were hugely significant. You'll know we've just had our uh, first son. Uh, We didn't spend hours debating the meaning of the name Timothy that we gave him. We just liked it. Uh, In Bible times, uh, names have huge significance. They mean something. They tell you something about the person. Uh, And one of the customs in Bible times uh, was for an individual to receive a new name uh, and a new step 
of their life. Uh, so, for example, uh, Abraham became Abraham when he received uh, the promise of God. That's back in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Jacob became Israel when God entered into a new relationship with him. And you can read that in uh, Genesis 32. And so it's right that as Jesus enters into a new stage of his life and his ministry, uh, St. Paul tells us that God gives him a new name. And that name is Lord. And it's a hugely significant name. Uh, That name, Lord, is the name that the Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament, Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures, uses for God. Again, it is affirming that he is divine. He is deity. He is the Lord. Uh, Not only is he crowned supreme over all creation, but he is acknowledged as divine as well. And the promise of this passage is that at the declaration of his name, of his lordship, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess it, uh, that the Father may be eternally glorified. Jesus is acclaimed for what he has always been, to receive the glory that he has always deserved. We could spend uh, hours dwelling on those, but let me just draw out two implications that I think uh, there are for us. If these words are true, if Jesus really is Lord, then by extension we can powerfully and confidently declare that nothing else is. He is Lord and nothing else can be. It's no surprise that in the Christmas story we see the Magi from the East coming to bow down and worship at the baby Jesus. He is Lord. He deserves it. It's no surprise that King Herod tried to, uh, to kill him, to get rid of him, the slaughter of the innocents. He realised that this baby, the King of Kings, was a threat to his authority. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then nothing else can be. No tyrant. Kim Jong-un can sit in his uh, palace in Pyongyang and make threats. They come to nothing. No tyrant, no power broker, nothing else in all creation can be Lord. If Jesus is Lord, he is the King of Kings. He's sovereignly at work in our world for his praise and for his glory. We don't need to fear men. We don't need to fear anything. He is on the throne. Nothing is outside of his control. He is the Lord of all heaven and all earth. But secondly, our passage is clear that one day all will acknowledge him as Lord. And that will either be by choice or it will be by force. One glorious day, Jesus will return. We don't know when. We don't exactly know how, but he will return. He will return in person, in his glory, to judge the living and the dead. And there will not be a single knee unbent, nor a single tongue that is not unloosed. And every day that passes, that day becomes ever closer. We don't know when it will be. It could be today, it could be tomorrow. It may not be for many years. The question, therefore, for us this morning is not will we bow the knee, But when will we bow the knee? All of us will, whether we like it or not. The question is when. Is it now? Or will it be when he comes in dread fear of him? Will it be joyful praise? Or will it be fear? Is he the Lord now of our hearts? Or are we trying to be? Are we trying to put something else in the place that he rightfully should have? Uh, Let me encourage you, decide this Christmas, this new year, 
to call Jesus the Lord of your life, whether that's for the first time or whether it's uh, anew. Put self on the cross, put Christ on the throne, as we sometimes sing. He deserves nothing less. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and he will have the honour that he deserves. Well, BBC has The Apprentice. Channel 4 has uh, Undercover Boss. Uh, Undercover Boss is a programme which sends senior business leaders uh, undercover as humble employees into their own organisations, sometimes with quite amusing results. And eventually, at the end of the programme, they're revealed for their true status. And uh, you can watch the employees' faces drop as they realise that they've been uh, with their CEO for the last week or so. At Christmas, we remember, Jesus is the ultimate undercover boss. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He came uh, as a baby, unnoticed by the vast majority of the world, and still he goes unnoticed. And yet he came. There he was rich. For our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. One day he will return in all his glorious majesty to rule his world. This Christmas, may each of us bow the knee afresh to him and declare him as our Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray, shall we? Well, Jesus, what a picture this is. So much in this we can almost barely take it in. And yet how amazing it should be that you should leave heaven, uh, empty yourself, uh, become one of us, uh, live among us, grow up to die for us. And we acknowledge that you are the Lord and one day you will come and every knee will bow and every tongue will declare it. And that will be a wonderful day. And we pray that you would be Lord now, be Lord of our hearts, be Lord of our, uh, ourselves, be Lord of our church, be Lord of our city, our county and our land, be Lord of this world. Uh, to the Father's praise and glory. Amen.